How are you doing out there? Where are you? What's your current situation? I'm basically homebound in New York City at this point. I'm working from home. Schools are closed. Restaurants are closed. Bars are closed. Everything is closed. I know a lot of you are in similar situations all across the country. Now, I've come to terms with ski season being over. That happened relatively quickly. But I've had to decide what to do with the podcast. I have two really good conversations recorded, one with the GM of a large mountain here in the Northeast, the other with the owner of an independent ski area in the Midwest. But it doesn't seem like the right time to release them. So I'm going to hold on to those podcasts for now and focus on the moment. What I've decided to do is to put out a series of podcasts reflecting on the shutdown of basically the entire North American ski industry to help stop the spread of COVID-19. What happened? How did it happen? What does it mean? These are going to be a little shorter than the normal storm skiing podcasts. I have no idea how many of these I'm going to do, but I'm hoping to make a little series of them. First up today is Chris Diamond. If you don't know Chris's resume, it's about as impressive as it gets. I'll give you those details shortly, but what you should know going into this is that Chris understands the modern ski industry as well as anyone alive. He came up in the Northeast, but he lives out in Steamboat, so he's right in the heart of this shutdown. Chris was good enough to give me a little time yesterday, and we had a good talk about what this shutdown could mean short and long term. Let's go. Chris Diamond is the author of two definitive books on the modern ski industry, Ski Inc. and Ski Inc. 2020. He is also the former president of Mount Snow and head of Steamboat Ski Resort, as well as past director and chairman of Colorado Ski Country USA and the National Ski Areas Association. He is also a member of the Colorado Ski Hall of Fame. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Stuart. Curious, first of all, what the atmosphere is like in Steamboat right now. It's March. There's still snow coming down and there's no skiing. It has to be surreal. How would you define the general mood in town right now? Oh, I think there's just a level of sadness, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, you've got to realize that, you know, for an awful lot of people in this little community, it was just the, the, the plug was pulled and they were almost instantaneously out of work. So, I mean, it's, it's probably the economic shock as well as the lack of recreation uh, for people. So, we're, you know, we're essentially shut down as a stay-at-home instructions from the state and the county government. Uh, so you're only supposed to do essential travel. Um, you know, you can walk, uh, but you're supposed to maintain appropriate distance. So I think it's just a level of sadness. At the same time, you know, I, I think there's a there's acceptance that this was inevitable and that uh, social distancing is the is the right strategy. And um, hopefully we'll get out of this as quickly as we got into it and life can regain some sense of normalcy. But I think it's just kind of, you know, just people are just sad. But I, at the same time, uh, as we get deeper into it, you know, I think people seem to be getting more comfortable with the new reality and uh, more smiles on the trail than maybe I saw a couple, uh, even a couple days ago. So it sounds like acceptance is settling in, but this thing escalated very quickly. It went from one or two mountains shutting down on March 12th to Vail announcing that Saturday, which was the 14th, that it was closing all its North American mountains immediately. Uh, Altera followed right after that. Steamboat, of course, is in Altera Mountain. What was the reaction in the community when that order came down from the state of Colorado? Hey, you got to shut all these things right now. Well, I think that um, actually the, were, the decision was made by um, 
both Vail and Altera before the order. I think it was either the day before or the morning of. So I think the you know, the preponderance of evidence was suggesting that the, the reasonable, rational thing to do to protect staff and guests was was to you know start immediately practicing social distancing. And um, so I, I don't think it came. You know, was, was it a surprise? And maybe if you had your head in the sand, but I mean. The, a couple of days before that, things were changing so dramatically. Uh, I was supposed to be in, in Schweitzer, in Sandpoint, Idaho, that weekend uh, when everything shut down. And uh, I'm on the advisory board of that, that resort in northern Idaho. And we decided at the last minute, I mean, it was Thursday, uh, well, this is just not the right time to travel. Uh, so we'll conduct our meeting uh, remotely using Zoom like everybody else. So, right. you know, you could really, if you were in the business, and, and there they were, I mean, they hadn't even had a case up there in northern Idaho, um, but, you know, being adjacent to Washington, and all, which was really the ep- early epicenter, it was just the right thing to do. So, I mean, if you're, see, if you're watching carefully, and the, and the news certainly was, uh, was all over it, uh, it was just almost inevitable. So up until yesterday, locals could still get out, skin up the mountain. You have a very robust skinning culture out there in Steamboat. Uh, now that that's closed down, are people taking to the backcountry? What's what's been the reaction to that decision? Well, I think uh, again, I have a sense of some inevitability uh, because so many people were doing it. I mean, you, there are pictures yeah. here uh, last weekend of Loveland Pass, which was basically. Uh, bumper-to-bumper cars for, you know, all the front-range skiers who couldn't ski just headed up uh, into the parking lot at Loveland and then on the roads and then just skinning up on the mountain. Of course, there's no patrol um, available in case of injury. Uh, Resorts closed. Uh, Local emergency resources, uh, I'm sure, were strained. and there's no distancing being practiced just for the reality of the crowd. So you know, it certainly wasn't that bad here at the base of Steamboat. But, again, you know, parking lots, some of the near parking lots were half full on the weekends with people skinning up. So um, there's, I guess there are those in, the, you know, those in a position of authority in the Forest Service and at the resort just came to the conclusion, wait a minute, this is, uh, this is not good. You can still go, you know, up on rabbit ears into the forest. The city, uh, Howison Hill, is still open so people can skin up, but those um, are a little less convenient, so there'll be fewer people doing it and therefore uh, few issues. So it's not that you can't get to the back country; it's just that the the ski area itself is now closed. Yeah, it's, it seems like people need that outlet now when they when the season is is cut short. So suddenly. I- I mean, I was in Steamboat just over a month ago, and it was—it's just so bustling in midwinter and so vibrant, especially down there by the gondola and and down in town. And and just to think of it emptied out immediately is is such an eerie scene. Yeah, uh, you're quite right. <laughs> Still, I mean, even I live across the river from the mountain, and normally, you know, night lights for skiing five nights a week, and all the homes and condos lit up and uh, i tell you it's just like a ghost town so you're very well connected in the ski industry um you you interview pretty much everyone who's doing anything in your two books ski inc and ski inc 2020 Uh, have you been talking to those folks over the past week uh or or two the the few people who run ski areas who run these companies 
And, and if so, do you have a, a general sense of what they're feeling, what they're thinking here? Well, I think no. Uh, have I, I have not gone back uh, uh, and chatted with some of the you know, my friends and key players in the business out of respect for what they have on their plate right now. Um, but I am, as I mentioned, on the Schweitzer board. So how that resort's managing its strategy is something I'm very familiar with. Uh, and it's basically let's do the right thing to make sure staff uh, is safe and let's work on our plan to come out of this uh, and, you know, be good uh, community and corporate citizens. So I'm sure that's what everybody's doing now. They're trying to make sure that they've got, uh, you know, people are being taken care of and looking out towards the end of this thing and getting back in business. Yeah, in the immediate term, the the focus definitely seems to be on, you know, how are we going to shut this thing down? How are we going to take care of our employees? How are we going to take care of the community? Um, so far, only Vail has come out with any numbers on expected losses they estimate up to about $200 million for their 37 mountains. Uh, can you give us a broader sense of what the economic fallout could be here? Not in exact numbers necessarily, but but how deeply could this impact the ski industry? Well, it's certainly significant, but, uh, you know, it it would have been quite – it would have been worse, <clears throat> excuse me, had this happened earlier. I mean, for many of the uh, eastern resorts in you know, March, especially if you're – as you get down more southern latitudes, you know, and the Midwest, once you're past St. Patty's Day, <clears throat> excuse me, it it gets pretty quiet pretty quickly. So, mm-hmm. yes, there's a, a huge impact, um, but it's not, uh, you know, a lot of the money was in the bank already from the two key holidays, Christmas and Washington's birthday, and, of course, all the season passed, <clears throat> revenues in the till. So, it would have been a lot worse for, you know, your major destination resorts. Um, like here in the Rockies, you know, March is the, the busiest month, which Easterners don't realize. And uh, I mean, the vacation schedules for key markets here in like Florida and Texas um, are in March rather than February. So it, it hurts. So you've lost two very, very big, big weeks. And then most run into the middle of April. So, another couple transition weeks. So it's it's a significant, you know, what is it percentage-wise? Probably 20 25% haircut mm-hmm. uh, on cash, but it could have been a lot worse. And here, at least in the, in the Rockies, it was off to a great start. So um, unlike some other areas of the country, like California and the, and the East, you know, it, it, uh, where it had been kind of an up-and-down season, here they were on, off on a, offer a great start. And how significant is are those last few weeks in April to the spring season? I've been to Colorado a few times in April. It's There's never any lines. It's, you know, the whole mountain's open, the base is deep, so I really like it. Um, but it's, I'm not sure how much, how significant that is financially. In, in your time at Steamboat, from your experience there, it, are those few weeks in April, are those key or less so than March? Oh, well, no, they're much less than in March. You know, your experience is right. I mean, <clears throat> the direct flights uh, all closed down the very end of March, early April. So, uh, and there aren't typically, some years you'll get an, if you have an early Easter on the calendar, you can get a little bit of a bounce. But no, it's it's kind of a two weeks to go from sort of peak business levels to closed. And it, it definitely, uh, each day is quieter as you move through that. So uh, the loss of that 
period. I mean, it's, it's not so much how much you're making, it's what you're not losing. Yeah. You're covering all the expenses. And, of course, the bills have been paid. The snow's been made. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's an important time, but it's certainly not as important as March. Do these mountains tend to, t- to make money in April? Oh, yeah, because your cost structure's different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last well, week is probably, for most, the last week is pretty much, uh, you know, as you get past the 10th, 12th of, of April, uh, you know, the, there's no destination business to speak of, and, you know, people just people don't fly for late April vacation. So it's mostly the front range, and uh, as soon as the weather gets good down there, people hop on their bikes. So it's just the market gets much smaller very quickly. Now, that, that said, there's some areas like, like Arapahoe Basin um, that in Loveland that, that uh, you know, have an extended season, and that's very important to them because many of the areas close and the, the diehard um, sort of focus their attention on those resorts that typically run late, but it's only a handful. Yeah, Alan Hensforth, uh, CMO over there at Arapahoe Basin, had a video out the other day, and I don't know if the sentiment has changed, but he said they were still holding out hope to be open and be the last mountain open in Colorado if this thing clears up and they're able to reopen in in May or whenever. Uh, do you think that's likely, or is it just too early to tell the way this thing is progressing? It's too early. I mean, things are changing daily. I know that A Basin would be in, in the best position to reopen because of their elevation and the amount of snow up there right now. So, I mean, they could reopen in June. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say if, if there's one place where it could, it could still be a tail end of the season here in Colorado, it's a basin. And just from your experience managing mountains, if you have an extended closure like that, how hard is it to get the slopes back into shape? If, if you know, do, do they have to be out there grooming every day or, or, or maintaining it in some way, or, or can they, Abandon it for a few months, go back and, and fix it up then. Yeah, I, th- I think on your key runs, you probably want to get the, the problem. It's all getting chopped up. Uh, well, until until yesterday, uh, yeah. by people skiing it. So, um, you know, I mean, high level, you, you, you can just kind of let it and then go back and uh, spruce it up as, as you get closer. That's not a big issue. Sometimes, so down lower, the snow melts out here in the west. Uh, Underneath as well as from the top. I mean, you've got the ground doesn't mm-hmm. freeze the same way it does. Um, the frost doesn't go down, you know, four or five feet like it does in New England in some places. Okay. So you get a situation where, uh, especially to get to the base area, you're, you're melting um, right at the ground level as well as losing the snowpack at the top. So as you can imagine, that settling needs to be managed from a safety perspective. So, mm-hmm. um, but up high, no, it just it just has, snow just hangs in there. Yeah, yeah, that, they certainly have altitude going for them. So hopefully they'll be able to push that back open at some point. Um, you know, here in the Northeast, as you know, a mid-March shutdown is not completely unheard of. Uh, 2012 and 2016, we had really low snow years. Most of the smaller mountains had to close up shop around mid-March. Uh, but but they could kind of see that coming and plan for it. How is this different? Well, I think you're right. You just went from full steam ahead to a couple of days of, whoa, what the hell's going on here? And then bang. And then, the tra- you know, you still have the transition of needing to sort of understand what was going on, take care of staff, close facilities down, uh, trying it in a thoughtful way. And the, on the other side, uh, pressure to 
uh, I mean, greater recognition of the seriousness of the virus and therefore the need to just get everybody out of there as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm talking workers and, um, you know, office settings that uh, couldn't meet uh, social distancing and so forth. So basically it was awkward week for everybody, I'm sure, are trying to get their plans together, um, take care of everybody, but basically get shut down as quickly as possible. Yeah, and they're, they're in the process of trying to break the mountain down while everyone's being told to stay home. Uh, meanwhile, after after a pretty mediocre winter, we've been getting some snow. So uh, that's that's got everyone a little little bit frustrated because, of course, of course, now it gets cold and snows. Um, so, so, Chris, we have a situation now where you have millions of people out of work. Unemployment numbers hit today. Three million new claims last week. That blew the previous record away. Previous record was 655,000 way back in 1982. Um, so that's going to affect season pass sales, uh, which is revenue that a lot of mountains count on to get through the summer. Can you help us understand just how important are these early season pass sales and what does the damage look like if these sales plummet? Well, I, th- I think, again, to go back to the timing, uh, you, have to have a, you have to make a couple of assumptions. And from those assumptions, you can, you know, suggest what might happen. Uh, but don't fall in love with your assumptions so, uh, because they seem to change every day. So my assumptions uh, are that this thing will, will start to tail off uh, sometime in the next two to four weeks. That doesn't mean an end, but that you'll be able to see the end. Um, it also assumes that this virus doesn't come back either during the summer or fall or next winter. So if that assumption is correct that uh, the rapid, relatively rapid response um, in, in social distancing that's being practiced across the country, if that does slow and then put us on the uh, other side of, of this, this uh, epidemic, if that happens, the, the deadline, again, you're only talking deposits for most passes. So mm-hmm. the deposits would be due at a time when people are seeing that there's light at the end of the tunnel. If that doesn't happen, I would only assume, in other words, if, if the resorts sense resistance on the part of the guest, they're not dummies and they'll, they'll extend the uh, deadline dates or come up with new uh, pricing strategies, whatever. So I, I think timing-wise, you know, you could look at it too. It's too bad it hit when it did, but in terms of being ready for next year and selling passes and getting over it, um, it you know, if you'd extended into April, then you're extending into June, July, uh, the resolution, and that would have put pressure on next year. So the, the ski business is Skiers are unbelievably resilient. I mean, and you in the Northeast, no one knows it better. Um, you know, you just shake it off and hope for a powder day. That's the way it is. And so it's going to be a powder year, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we had tough year. You know, good winters follow bad and vice versa has always been my my view back in New England. So it, I think we'll come out of this. Um, the ski business will come out of it in relatively good shape. The big question is is the damage to the economy, and um, you know to have we've never been in a situation where things just came to a stop. Mm-hmm. So pundits to tell you what that means in terms of where the stock markets are going to be, and 
um, what GDP will be by the end of the year. I mean, no one knows. So I think that's the bigger question. They'll figure out a way to sell passes because it's not a big financial commitment um, in terms of a deposit. If the atmosphere is right, business will plot along as normal. Probably won't see growth. And then the the final, how the year uh, eventually turns out will be dictated more by the state of the economy. Yeah, you know, you're already seeing some companies adapt to this and get ahead of this a little bit. Yesterday, Vail announced it to extend the deadline for getting the most buddy passes with the Epic Pass. So if you buy it early, you get like 10 buddy passes. If you buy it later, you only get two. Um, and it pushed out the date. It will charge people for auto renewals. Um, Magic Mountain in Vermont announced an extension of its best prices into the summer and said it would set prices lower when the passes went on sale, even though they had already announced their prices. Um, do you think that we'll see additional incentives follow from Altera, from the other large mountains? Yes. But it'll do something different. But they'll be, they'll, if there's one thing you know about the resorts, they'll compete. <laughs> Okay, you know, if Vail goes one direction and they they are, they're perceived to have a, a more attractive product, everybody else will respond. So, in your latest book, Ski Inc. 2020, you identified a couple of existential issues that skiing was going to have to find some way to contend with. So, one and the most obvious is climate change. Um, a little less obvious to to some people is attracting a more diverse skier base as the nation rapidly diversifies. How would you compare this sudden shutdown of nearly the entire North American ski industry to these long-term challenges in terms of severity and urgency? Oh, boy. Yeah. I guess I I did have a conversation uh, a week ago with um, Carl Kapazinski, who's a president of Mountain High in Southern California, and that's... Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Most of your New England skiers aren't probably aren't. I mean, so I have to base the Cone Pass mm-hmm. um, in uh, in Riverside County or very close to Riverside County. Uh, it, it's you know I don't know how many million people there are within a 50 mile radius. Probably you know eight or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It and, and it's all that Southern California is a very diverse demographic. Uh, at mm-hmm. Mountain High, uh, white males are in a distinct um, minority. I mean, he has mm-hmm. been very successful in um, you know developing a strong market, Hispanic, Asian community. Um, you know, always been leaders in, in snowboarding. Um, great learn to ski programs, and uh, what he's worried about, what Carl's worried about, is that that demographic is going to be disproportionately affected. Um, they're in the service industry typically, mm. and so he's anxious about next year. That said, he's almost more anxious about um, the downturn in, in snowboarding uh, as more people go to twin tips and park type. Equipment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I read my books. You know, I, I'm optimistic that the business is growing generically um, because of the overall appeal of skiing across broad segments. But for Carl in Southern California, his market is definitely middle, lower middle class, and he he is uh, he's concerned about whether that market, uh, given the these economic uh, conditions, will 
be as responsive as it has in the past. Time will tell. And, and was he kind of brainstorming solutions for how do I acknowledge that these folks may have less money to deal with, uh, but still compel them to come up to my mountain? He, he always does. I mean, he's been incredibly successful that way. Always does. Now, he does not have a solution to the, you know, it's easier to get somebody, uh, you know, you can get someone on a snowboard very quickly to a level of competence where they can enjoy a green-blue slope. And this, that is not true for skiing. So it's a, uh, it just takes a little longer. So for his little learn-to-ski-ride factory, um, that's that larger trend is more of a concern. So zooming back out here and looking at this COVID-19 scare and this sudden shutdown that followed, do you think this is the most severe shock that the modern ski industry has had to face? Uh, in terms of shock, yes. Um, I mean, everything came to an absolute stop. Uh, we, and 9-11 didn't affect the ski business that way because we weren't open, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so right. while it was a comparable shock uh, in many ways, uh, this one, this one was just different. I was talking to some folks the other day about the Arab oil embargo of ninety, excuse me, seventy three, seventy four. I was at Killington that time, and it that one was an extended uh, slump. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a bad snow year. You know, people couldn't get enough gas to get to the mountain. We had to bring in truckloads of fuel at night, and you know, sell ten gallons. Of, at 75 cents a gallon um, to skiers so they could get back or most of the wow. way back. People had gallon jugs in their cars. I mean, it was awful. Um, wow. And and again, the snow wasn't particularly good, uh, even in Killington. So, but we managed through it. I mean, it was an extended downturn. Um, mm -hmm. That was the hostage crisis, and you know. So there was this feeling that this is kind of the new normal that uh, you know we're all going to be 25% off, but you managed to that, and skiers kept coming, uh, and you know nobody went out of business. We all sort of figured it out uh, and went along. So in terms of an extended period of time, that was very difficult. Um, but this everything just stopped. And we've never been there before. It's the first time that this has happened. And it's not just ski business. I mean, if you're in Orlando, Florida, the same. It doesn't matter where you are now. If you're mm -hmm. uh, in any business that touches the guest where you can't work remotely, you don't have a job. And mm -hmm. how are we going to recover from that? Uh, how long is it going to take? Uh, will the stimulus work? All these uh, questions really yet to be answered. But for skiing, given the, you know, passion that people have for the sport and the fact that we've been kind of on an upward trend. I, I you know, maybe it flattens for a bit, but I don't think that trend is going to change. You know, as you mentioned, we're fortunate this happened toward the end of the ski season and things are changing every single day and we have no way of knowing really how this thing's going to progress, if it'll return in the fall when the governments will relax bans on large gatherings. What would happen if there wasn't a ski season next year? What would the fallout of that look like? Well, it's almost inconceivable. <laughs> that I mean, if if there's no ski season, there are other issues going on that, um, you know, we're talking probably depression-level uh, 
economic situation. I mean, it would be a very sad, uh, trying time. So, and I don't think that's in the cards. I think governments uh, globally have the ability to manage through that. So really the issue would be, um, you know, we've got another pandemic that, that flows through, and it leads to a decision to close facilities like ski resorts, but somehow, you know, the rest of the world is moving on. I don't know. It's hard to imagine. But were that the case, it's not, you know, it would be incredibly difficult for these communities. Uh, We'd have to be on some sort of state, federal life support. But the ski resorts themselves could, would just, they'd button up. I mean, you just have a handful of people maintaining the equipment. Um, There'd be no marketing, no sales, no ticket. I mean, it would be a, a, a fraction of the normal um, staffing. And, yeah, the, the asset's going to sit there. Someone is going to want to acquire or maintain that asset at a cost. It's going to just take the value way down to reflect the fact that there's no income for a period of time and that they're carrying costs that are going to have to somehow be capitalized in the way you'd sort of restructure the thing economically. So it would be a terribly difficult time, but, you know, the system would would, uh, eventually come out of it and there would be a a new owner uh, or the existing owner that figured out how to finance through the, the trough, if you will, and life would go on. I don't think that's scenario but it wouldn't be the end of skiing (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can't can't stop people from going up the mountains no matter what right 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 you can't i mean the assets the assets are sitting there like if you close the you know disney world for for a year would that would it never open or would it reopen somehow well fortunately the government is getting involved they're acknowledging these are businesses that are out of business by no fault of their own. I'm curious if, as a member of the Schweitzer board, you've had a chance to take a look at the stimulus package that uh, is moving through Congress to see if there was anything that you'd be able to take advantage of there for that mountain, or is it just too early to tell? No, it's too well. To your point, I've been too busy with calls like this. I know I have. I, I've got. Uh, I haven't read my journal yet from this morning, but I plan to do that. Great. Well, last question for you here, Chris. Uh, the common thread of Ski Inc. and Ski Inc. 2020 is optimism. Uh, you're very optimistic that mega passes and the way the independent mountains have reacted to them uh, with kind of these very creative responses, that those things together were driving a renaissance in North American skiing. Does this sudden shutdown change your point of view, or do you still think the industry is resilient enough to respond to this in a way that it'll come back stronger than ever? Yeah, I think I, what we don't know is is uh, will there be a brief contraction? Um, it's probably reasonable to expect that more because of um, just the economic circumstances for some people who will be just struggling to you know get their family finances back in order. So it would be reasonable to assume that there'd be a flattening or a, a near-term um, you know shift downward. Does that mean that the basic trend, as I mentioned earlier, has changed, that the the overall uh, popularity of the sport and the resorts and the resort communities, is that going to change? No, I don't don't think so. If anything, 
um, you know, looking at the situation in New York, um, don't you think people are going to say, boy, I'd love to be in New Hampshire, Vermont. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and we saw yeah. this after 9-11. Um, so yeah. given the ability to work remotely, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. There's always an unintended consequence or outcome, right? Yeah, yeah, there sure is. All right, Chris. Well, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. Listen, when this whole thing blows over, I'd love to have you back on to have a more extensive conversation about the industry in general and the passes and all the great stuff you write about in your books. Uh, but for now, stay safe, stay well. Thank you so much for your time. Same to you, Stuart. Bye-bye. That's Chris Diamond. Very smart guy. Very plugged in. If you've got some downtime on your hands right now, and most of us do, if you're stuck in the house, go download or order his two books. Ski Inc. and Ski Inc. 2020. Those are the most comprehensive overviews of the state of the modern North American ski industry, period. Excellent, excellent reads. And you will feel better about where skiing is at and where it's headed after reading them. Thank you very much for that, Chris. And thank you all so much for listening. I'm hoping to deliver more of these COVID-focused conversations over the next few weeks, some with familiar voices that you've heard before on the storm, and hopefully some more new ones as well. If you want to hear those as soon as they're live, please subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. That is free to do. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.